Shiver Me Timbers, you're listening to the Ship Shape Podcast. Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Talha Bhatti and with me is Farah and uh, we are talking to our special guest today, Meryl Charette. And he has been doing a lot of boating for the last few years, uh, I think four or five, we're going to ask how much. And the funny bit is he was never really a sail uh, sailboatman before this. And now he is, and he has dreams of sailing the world. We're going to ask about that, how he got here, and uh, let's jump into it. Welcome to the show, Meryl. Sup, guys? Hi, Meryl. How are you doing? Oh, you know, making it at my parents' house for the time being. And then uh, need to head back to the marina at some point, take the shrink wrap off, get ready for boating season up in New England. Hmm. That's, That's right. So Meryl, good. in New England, and New England... Is still cold. We're sitting in April right now, but uh, shrink wrap means that they literally sort of wrap up the whole boat. It looks like a cocoon almost. And Meryl, it's got to be fun to be coming out of that cocoon. Well, I'm so busy. Wait a minute. Um, do you mind if I ask a question here? Hang on. For somebody who is a complete land baby and very rarely has spent time on boats, what do you mean by shrink wrap? When you actually say your boat is shrink wrapped, it's like cling film. You've actually cling filmed your whole upper yes. portion of your boat. Yeah. Yes. Has it out of the water? Is it still in the water? Halfway in the water? Yeah, it's still in the water. It's not like the sh- saran wrap shrink wrap, but mm. it's like a plastic material that you you build a frame over the top of the boat. quality. Yeah, and then you take a heat gun with it, and, um, you know, they have the flat white, and then they have the transparent, and the transparent allows for, like, greenhouse effects to happen, so it could be 20 degrees outside, but the sun hitting the shrink wrap makes the inside of the boat 40 degrees. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Why would we want to do that? In the winter, it's a good thing, because... The, it's funny, one of the marinas I lived at, they, I was hoping to take the boat out in the winter and the whole river just froze up, so you can't take the boat anywhere. And lots of people still live on their boats, right? Meryl, you live on your boat full-time? Yes. Right? So when you're living on the boat full-time and you want to do that for the winter, then that's one of the ways to do it. How many years have you lived so on you, the boat, Meryl? You shrink wrap the outside and then you live inside the boat, so you just have your little door you can come in and out of. So it's exactly. almost like you're living in a conservatory. Yes, my own little prison. (laughs) (laughs) Prison may not be the right word since you enjoy living on the boat. I mean, coming back to Salah's question, how long have you lived on a boat? So, I've lost track of time, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be either four years or five years. What made you want to live on a boat? I mean, it's not every day that you wake up and think, that's it, I'm done. Done with my apartment, I'm going to get a boat, and I'm going to move in there. Yeah, it was pretty much a descent into madness. So in 2018, I threw hike the Appalachian Trail. So I walked from Georgia to Maine. It was 2,200 miles. Took 172 days. Um, pretty much right after that, I started law school. I started law school five days after doing that huge trip. And uh, so I was going through an existential crisis. And um, I ran into this lady on this train who told me that I could just live on a boat in the harbor. And I looked it up, and people did that. So I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. And, and everybody around you was comfortable with this? Well, I had already through hike that. Yeah, I called my parents. I said, hey, I'm going to live on a boat. And, you know, their reaction was, well, you through hike the Appalachian Trail, so you can pretty much accomplish anything. No yeah. way. So yeah. you were looking at this as another challenge that you would overcome? Or is it, you know, something that just looked cool and you thought you'd get into it? Like, what was it in your head? Well, I'm always about challenges. I'm less about adventure, but more into challenges, doing things. So I guess that. 
So did this start as a challenge with the intent to see how it goes and, and then manifests? Or was it sort of, oh, I just, you know, I'm just going to permanently do this? Or did you just think, I'm going to try this for a year or two and then see how I feel? Uh, well, to repeat again, it was an existential crisis. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, I got to do something because going to law school is so boring and dry that I had to do something, you know. Did and, it get and, you out of your existential crisis? Being on the boat, do you think it helped? Yeah, so um, what happens is after you through hike a trail, there's this thing called trail depression. Not a lot of people talk about it, but you've had this crazy experience and now you're kind of thrust into society again, normal life where everything's kind of easy. So getting onto the boat and just meeting that community because there was a pretty strong community on the Appalachian Trail through hiking that I didn't really suffer any of the impression, uh, depression that my friends felt, you know, getting back into their real life. So, yeah. Wow. That sounds really fascinating. You were, you were living in Boston when, uh, you were in law school as well? So when I was in law school, it, so I finished the AT and then I started law school like August 17th and I was commuting from central Massachusetts where my parents were from. So it was like a four hour commute, oh boy. Um, you know, back and forth. And, you know, and that, that's where it hit you. That's where you met the lady who was like, why are you doing this? Did, did, did you invite her to give you that advice or did, were you friends or how did that go down? Well, when I was taking the train, right, because you'd go in the morning and people would have their own train seats and everyone knew each other because you'd all get in the train at the same time. And uh, I would have in my outbursts where I'd point to the sky and be like, this world's a lie. All you guys are slaves to the machine. And I guess I did that enough that this lady was eventually like, you know, shut up. You know, you could just <laughs> live on a boat in the harbor. Hmm. And just yell at the sky from your boat. And you're like, people do that? And then so, how'd okay, you find it? I, can't, yeah. I mean, your parents, I, I mean, would have said, okay, fine, fair enough. You've done this incredible hike. And, you know, thousands of people a year are only able to achieve this out of the whole entire world. It's such an incredible achievement. And then you've got this boat. Um, and now you're on it. What about your people around your friends? I mean, hmm. you know, your young girlfriend. You know, these experiences, how did they all pan out after your experience of being on the boat? Well, yeah, pretty much after hiking the AT, that marked my name and legend. So everyone just assumed I could do anything. But when I went into it, I brought a girlfriend with me. And, uh, you know, the, the goal was originally, oh, we can sail around the world and we could do whatever we want. And it's another adventure. But then I quickly realized that you got to make money somehow. And the person that you bring on board, your girlfriend, needs to have the same, you know, goals that you do. So mm -hmm. there's some lessons learned. Nice. And you guys had walked the AT together already, so you've already been through this life-changing adventure once. Yeah, yeah. We did the AT together. Uh, the boat is what was her undoing. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Do you think because of close quarters combined compared to open-air environments? I mean, do you think it's because of the proximity? Well, it was probably because of me, because I'm hard to deal with. <laughs> and the boat, and like Farah was saying, proximity probably didn't help that. Yeah, yeah, boat is pretty tight space. Mm, so it can take its toll on relationships is what we're hearing. Okay. Oh, for sure. And, and okay, unless... so Talha mentioned, I mean, I have to backtrack here for people who are listening. Talha also lives on a boat, 
right? Yeah. And I remember the first time Dalla mentioned to, to myself and his his family, who I'm also well acquainted with, that he's getting on a boat. I know your mum received this very well, Dalla. But I remember his sister was is, is still consumed with the idea that he's going to be eaten by a shark one day. And I mean, all of us just thought it was a passing phase. But we've seen that his love for the boats and is just it's just grown over the years. His knowledge, his experience, and this coming from somebody who, correct me if I'm wrong, Bella, you'd never really been interested in boats prior exactly. to, to this yeah, extent. Yeah. I mean, I, I love boats, I guess, always. I just never had... My first boat was a 33-footer, and I think Meryl is the same, right? Meryl, did you have any prior boating experience to you getting on a boat? No, I'd never even been on a boat in my entire life. Oh boy, so even even more so than me. But I think I think your girlfriend was similar, or I mean, you tell me. Like, was it more, you know, no boat experience at all, and she was there at the same time? Well, yeah, she she came from Tennessee, which is pretty landlocked. Um, mm. So she didn't I think have any. Goes, there's no sea in Tennessee, right? Well, <laughs> or uh, you're the only ten I see. <laughs> or that. Well, I don't. Oh my! I'm not even <laughs> going to pay attention to that. Listen. I'm going to be honest here. I love the ocean, and I have been on a boat. I've done deep sea fishing. I've stayed on the boat two days at a stretch, three days at a stretch. Mm. But mm. for me to even consider getting people. on a boat, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's it's a hard ask. I mean, it's, it does get really lonely out there in the middle of the ocean. It's quite scary. But for me to be able to say I, I love the ocean enough to actually that I'm going to get a boat and move into it, um, is a big ask and for a lot of people who are listening um, who are interested in potentially going down this route you you need to elaborate and tell them a bit more so people like me for example um, you know I pass by certain places like I've mentioned this Stella before in London there are these beautiful right at the river beautiful houseboats and you would not think that they are houseboats because they look like proper houses and apartments with little gardens and they're painted yeah. and they've got windows yeah, and curtains. And Children playing and... <laughs> outside on the deck and it's gorgeous. It's prettier than some of the apartments that people live in in a concrete jungle. So mm. to be fair, I mean, can you tell us exactly if I was to turn around and say, I want to get on a boat, I want to live on a boat, Meryl, how would I go about doing it? What do I need to know? Do I need to know anything? So, there's so many ways that this could go, but essentially you're going to have to choose between living on a houseboat or a sailboat or a powerboat, and each one has their advantages and disadvantages, but yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's a pretty, it can be pretty rugged, and it's comparable to being outside all the time. You just happen to have like a, a roof over your head inside the boat. But it's not for everyone. A lot of people come into it thinking that they're going to do a lot of traveling or it's going to be a great time and a lot of people end up dropping out. Why do you say that you, why why wouldn't the travel be an aspect of it? I mean, don't you go from port to port and, you know, meet different people from different walks of life? Don't, wouldn't you say it's more stimulating than being surrounded in your four walls? Sure, but boat stands for bust out another thousand, so... Nothing's really cheap, and mm. if you decide to <laughs> go from port to port, you're going to end up having to spend some money. Wow. So you lived on a sailboat in Boston Harbor for the last four or five years, and you didn't have any prior sailing experience. You're, you, know, you started doing it now. And as you mentioned, it's not for everyone. You know, the advantages and disadvantages for you know whether you're living on a sailboat or a powerboat or a houseboat. The fire, like you mentioned, like what the houseboats. One of the downsides is that those people can't take their boats anywhere. I mean, they could, but it would it would be this whole thing production, yeah. 
And um, okay. Meryl, though, can take his boat wherever he wants. Meryl, I think, tell us about your boat, Meryl. What sort of what sort of boat is it? Like, what are your plans with this boat? So, when I first got the boat, I was like, I'm going to sail around the world, right? Everyone's dream when they get a sailboat. She's a Ta Shing Toshiba 36, so a mm. Robert Perry design, world cruising sailboat. She's mm. actually and, one of the... And break that down for us. So, Ta Shing Toshiba means, is it like a Japanese boat? Like, what does that mean? It was made in the Tashang boatyard in Taiwan. Yeah, she's and is, a. Is it like a classic boat? Like, is that what we're talking about? I, I guess she would be considered a classic. She was made in 1986 and has enough teak that they had to have cut down a rainforest for. Oh boy. Did wow. you? This was your first ever boat, or is this? Yeah, the, I was going to ask that. Yeah, did you see it and fall in love with it? Is it like that's the one, or did you see a bunch of boats before this? Like, how'd that go down? Where'd you find it? Well. It was a whole learning experience. I had actually looked at 36 boats before I found wow. her. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, but you didn't buy or like any of them. But when you saw this, was it just like fatigue at that point? Or were you like, this is the one? Well, it was already November by the time I had found it. And I was like, oh, God, if I don't commit to this now, then I'm not going to be living aboard. I'm going to be in an apartment. And then my life is going to come to a crashing halt. Mm. So mm. it was a do or die situation. Yeah. And yeah, you know, finally, 36 boats later, you're like, you pull the trigger, you're like, I'm doing it. <laughs> Looked at 36 boats. And you bit and the then, bullet. Yeah. And then did you, did, was it already in Boston? Did you have to like drive it down? Because you said you had no experience. So how'd you do that? Yeah, it was in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And by the time I had got the boat and it was like, okay, once I had gotten the boat, I was like, oh crap, how am I going to bring it up there? And after looking at 36 boats, everyone assumed that I knew exactly what I was doing. Mm. And so then I had to tell the broker. Wait, like, you just yeah. sounded like a pro. Like that you sounded you like you, had, or you were an authority on this. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Mm. I knew everything about boats. I've read so much, read books, listen to audio books, talk mm. to a ton of people in the industry. And, and did you take any like sailing courses before or after buying the boat or during like the whole buying process? How long was the buying process? By the, uh, those 36 boats took you how many days? A month? Six months? Uh, it took about two and a half months. As you can imagine, my law school education kind of went down in the dumps. I see. So law school is going on in the background and Merrill is looking for the boat, his house to live on. Having said that, Meryl, something that, you know, a lot of people might have picked picked up at this point is that you mentioned that you read a lot of books and you did a lot of research. It would be great if you could uh, give us your, after obviously this interview, your how-to guide on if you're going to find a boat, what's the best way to go about doing it, which books you'd recommend um, people tap into. Because it's always great when somebody has that level of experience. Um, it becomes almost imperative that you lean into them for, you know, if somebody's going to go down this route. Yeah, but we, we love quick tips. Well, this could be one of those quick tip things. Drop three Absolutely. things to, you know, where and how to find a boat. What would they be in, like, your opinion? And, the, and from something that I must raise, A, two questions I've got. One. When I went on a boat and I was there for two days, when you come off onto land, you still keep swaying. It almost feels like you're like a <laughs> pendulum. How do you guys do this? You get on we're and gonna, off We're going to come back to land for sure. Oh, my God. And, and the second the, point? The second point, the first boat you picked up after looking at 36 boats, you got in November. So your first experience of living in a boat is in winter. That is awful, isn't it? Didn't that put you off straight away? Well... Yeah, I don't even know where to begin on this. I would say uh, my my top three tips that I would 
kind of throw right off the bat are, first off, find a boat that's going to be over 35 feet um, mm. because anything under 35 feet is going to be pretty claustrophobic. Two, I would say make sure that if you're with someone else, that you guys have the same goals and aspirations because a lot of times it seems that one of the partners is all about it and through their commitment, you know, the other person gets like dragged into something that they don't really want to do. Hmm. And um, third tip is be more open to spending more money on a boat than thinking that you're going to fix a boat. Hire the right pros. You need to elaborate on that for somebody who's not boat savvy at all. What does that even mean? So when you're looking at boats, there's this whole idea of buying a fixer upper. And, mm. you know, the saying is a free boat is the most expensive boat you'll ever own. Uh -huh. So, you know, if it came down to spending $40,000 on a fixer upper or $70,000 on a boat that's all ready to go, it's probably a better financial decision to get this $70,000 boat because, you know, boat stands for bust out another thousand. So that $40,000 boat will quickly like climb up to a hundred thousand. And, um, you can't with the money that you put into a boat, you can almost never get back. That's really interesting that you say that. Yeah, so just like with a house and with property, like values fluctuate and go up and down. Does the same happen with a boat? Well, I would say that it's more uh, connected with like cars, right? Like if you have a Corvette, mm. the Corvette's going to hold its value better than a Prius. Mm. So, and a classic Corvette will hold it even better. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more on the the brand of boat and style boat that really matters. I saw mm. plenty of time boats that were for sale for like sixty thousand dollars, and one of the taglines on the sale would be, you know, previous owner spent three hundred thousand dollars on this boat. Wow. It's just like, okay, well, this guy's certainly not getting his money back. That is painful, though. So you would almost say that, you know, this is this is the kind of investment that you are burning a lot more money than you're getting your value worth out of? Yeah, so you're going to end up spending a ton of money. Like, boats aren't cheap. But... So you must really need to love being on a boat in order mm -hmm. to invest in it. Mm -hmm. So the I key think... take-home is you love it, otherwise don't yeah. do it. Yeah, I think that's a big part. And I think a lot of people in our shows have mentioned that, is that there has to be a passion involved. Because again, like as Meryl mentioned, it's it's you know it's a harder life than you know like land is almost easy compared to a boat. You know over here you're especially if you want to sail the world. And Meryl, tell us uh, a little bit about your adventures in a bit. But the way that Meryl wants to go, you know, around sailing the world, you need to know how every single sort of aspect of your boat works because there's not always going to be a helpline where you can just call up and somebody's going to bring you back. That's daunting, though. Yeah. I mean, doesn't the thought terrify you? I think when you're getting a boat, from my understanding, not just as not just about busting out the thousands of, of dollars or pounds, I think in this concept, it, there's something far deeper. It's also about being, a, a, being able to enjoy your solitude, being mm -hmm. able to make the right decisions, being also able to have that sense of clarity and that ambition and drive because it's not just about, oh, I need to know how my boat works or my rudder works. It's mm -hmm. also about when I'm going to go out there, if something goes wrong, how can I fix it? And mm -hmm. how can I look after myself in the big blue? It's not as easy as, right, I'm just going to go and sail my boat. And it's yeah. also about having life skills, something that, yep. you know, somebody like, for example, Meryl, you already were well equipped with being on a, on a trail like you did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How I've described living on a boat to people is uh, 
it's like a fast track education course because you know how I feel the modern day is is you get into a job and you kind of learn about that job and you stay in it and if you own a house well most of the time you're not necessarily doing all the work yourself but being on a boat there's so many different aspects of it right there's plumbing there's electrical there's engines there's woodworking rigging sails and so you're constantly trying to educate yourself and it's pretty stimulating to the brain you know i feel like a, a lot of good things have happened since i've been in this continual education phase of my life do you feel living on land is very dull in comparison well i used to live on land and i will say that yeah it's pretty dull so so you've been doing this a few years what what are the, like your favorite like marine recipes maybe underway or just like quick things you like throwing together top 3 perhaps again well the boat's got a two burner you know cooktop and then an oven i can make a mean steak i like to nice. saute a lot of vegetables too you know i'm all about that i dated a vegan for like 3 years of my life and mm. um you know another thing that i've been liking is spam and rice mm. mixed in with <laughs> what's that sauce what's that uh, i think uh, meryl's mentioning nihari sauce it's it's a pakistani dish meryl oh I my god nice the one and i guess he's fallen in love with it but so that's it you as in your top 3 i love it yeah, that's pretty impressive nice. yeah and okay. what's number 3 probably some uh dude i'll make a mean lobster you know mm. nice mm. meryl what's what were you you know i mean from the conversation that I'm having with you with anybody who is listening could clean that you love being on your boat and it is a challenge and it is an educational experience but it's also a lifestyle choice versus something that is just nice to have and that you know you've highlighted the pros and the cons of making a decision like this obviously the financial impact but also the fact that you know you you need to enjoy your solitude and in being able to get your hands dirty and do mm-hmm. things yourself but what terrifies you when you're on that boat there must have been a moment i mean after your existential crisis after this entire experience of being on the boat and spending the last couple of years on it does it something terrify you when you're on the boat when you're out there in the ocean on your adventures well the only time that i've been like concerned is when there's storms headed right for me uh but other than that you know the boat what do you do well what, what do, do i do, do? <laughs> yeah bend down the hatches and get ready it's going to suck <laughs> that's it <laughs> There's nothing yeah. else you can do. Y- yeah, you can't do anything. You're on a boat. You're stuck. Hmm. So, Meryl, so tell us how out of Boston Harbor, how how far out of Boston Harbor have you gone? Hundreds of miles? Are you where we're we talking about? I haven't sailed too far, but I've sailed a lot. Hmm. And generally I do, I don't know. I I always make it out to the Cape Cod. I make it out to Rockport every single year. I say I'm going to sail out to Maine. you know mm. but i can seemingly never get a girl that's going to be cool to do no, we, we need a girl to make it happen i love so it so do you have yeah. to have a wingman with you a girl with you that that mm. on your journeys well it would be sweet to um you know have some people you know with me i mm. am a pretty social person and i've never felt that sailing alone was mm. that enjoyable for me Mm. So how, how many days are you sailing alone in terms you said you're going out yeah. to Maine and all these places I mean for somebody who's not savvy with how many days travel it would be what are we looking at roughly 3 days 2 days 1 day Well the problem with the sailboat is that it takes forever to get to a place 
And I've learned along the way of owning the sailboat that I have more fun at the destinations than I do on the trip there. <laughs> so, oh, nice. Yeah, so I try to get to a place as fast as I can and then spend several days either at anchor or on a dock or a mooring ball and mm. just check out the town and, and stay there. Nice. nice. And so what's the longest you've, your journey mm. time has been? My longest journey has been 100 miles, and that was mm. from... Norwalk to Boston. We stopped somewhere in between and made it out there. It was great. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it when well, how, Norwalk how was when you got the boat? Was that that journey? Yeah, it was the the longest journey I've been on was when I got the boat, and wow. that was a hundred miles. And you how never many days before. did that take? Oh, it took two days. We sailed nonstop. Mm. And but so nice. the owner of the boat was with you, the old owner, and you guys came together, and he showed you the ropes, and then he's like, peace. Yeah, so convinced the former owner to come with me, and he was all about it. So I brought one of our family friends who's, you know, a 60-year-old man, Mike, and he brought one of his friends. Uh, mm. And so it was the four of us on a boat. And I remember nice. we were leaving the dock, and it was November, right? So the boat had shrink wrap on it at one point. So we were removing some of the shrink wrap so we could try to get the sails up. Mm. And... uh my friend Mike was having difficulty at the front of the boat getting it off. So uh, the guy, the previous owner, his friend came up, looked Mike square in the eyes, handed him this beautiful pocket knife, mm. and then uh, went back to the helm. And Mike looked at me. He was like, well, that was strange. Mike starts, uh, <laughs> Mike starts to try to cut off the shrink wrap and just fumbles the knife in his hand, and it falls oh, right boy. into the, the ocean, oh, right? Just <gasps> Davy Jones' locker. And um, Mike's like, oh, shit, you know, what am I going to do now? So he, you know, yells to the to the guy that's at the helm, hey, your your knife, it went in. The guy was like, what? What happened? Like, your knife, it just, like, points at his hand. He's like, fell in the water. And the guy looked at him and said, that was the last thing that my dad gave to me before oh. he died. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Mike was like, oh, God, I, this is a great start to a trip. Mm, would you guys oh no, that was awful. Was that was it? The trip was okay though. Like that was your first trip sailing. How 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 did you feel about that? Oh, I mean, it was gorgeous. You know, seeing the seeing the world from the water is a different experience. And do you feel relationships hard. become a lot more intense, Meryl, on boats? Is it or does it become like Lord of the Flies? Right? I mean, survival of the fittest, and everybody becomes sort of you know goes back to the innate human behavior of. Uh, do or die and survive and killer instincts and or does it actually become sweeter in terms of spending quality time and do you feel people become more appreciative well i've heard stories on either end of that you know where some people they go out on a trip with some person that they find out that they absolutely hate and then um you know i've also heard trips in which people go out with someone they didn't know and they become lifelong friends Hmm. Which one do you hear more often of? Uh, I probably hear more of the terrible experiences. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Well, you know, it's hard to find crew, right? And a lot of the people that you're friends with, they have lives and whatnot and jobs that they have to go to work. And being able to do any traveling long distance, you're going to either have to find someone that's not working or is able to work remote. And then that opens up a lot of problems because it's like, how are you going to get internet? Like, where are you going to resupply? Like all these other things. It's complicated. Mm. You gotta, you gotta have a plan. 
Mm. And so, Meryl, so what is your plan? So how far do you want to take this boat? Like, what were your goals when you bought the boat? What's it capable of? Well, when I got the boat, I was like, I'm going to sail around the world. And mm. as time's gone on, I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to just go to cool destinations and live this, like, uh, rom- remote working lifestyle. Like, ideally, mm. I would, you know, commission a custom powerboat that's, like, 50 feet and Mm. Just be able to motor from harbor to harbor. and Oh, you're, you're converting. You're a sailboater converting to powerboating. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, the destination's where it's at. The mm. sailing can just take forever, you know. If mm. there's no wind, ugh, you know, end up motoring. But hang on, so why stay on a boat then? I mean, you could do the same thing by car or by plane. Mm. Get from mm. destination to destination. Why plow through the ocean? You know, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Like the the coastal areas, I mean, you can do it for so cheap, right? Like anchoring mm. is free, so mm. you can go to this beautiful location and you know that's beautiful town, uh, very historic, and you can anchor for free and stay mm. there for you know who knows how long. Mm. So you know it's it's pretty cost effective for sure in and, terms of accommodation. So you're just saving mm. a lot of. Yeah. So, so basically your accommodation that, is huge, it's trumps because it's completely free wherever you go. Yeah, but then it, it, as I was saying, it's not so much fun when a storm comes through, so that's something he has to be particularly aware of. Hmm. Don't you think it sounds like a lot of effort for very little pleasure though? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'll tell you, being on a boat, and this is what ends up happening to a lot of people, is they get a boat that's a fixer-upper and they spend all their time working on hmm. the boat. And they don't actually enjoy it. Yeah, and if you don't have any experience in which you can see like a glimmer of hope about how exciting it can be, you're just going to quickly be like, this sucks, you know, why do I... So what about basic things like, I mean, if you were to ask me in a given day, people around me that I look in, in apartments or houses, they have pets, they have friends coming in and out of their houses, you know, you have friends come over for a party or for dinner, um, go grow, get groceries, you come back, you cook up a meal, I mean, you're on a boat. There's a storm. You can't even get in. You can't even get out. What about your basics, like pets? Can you have pets on your boat? Where do they go to the toilet? You know, it becomes, doesn't it become difficult? Do people even have pets when they have a boat, when they're living on a boat? I know a few people that have pets, but it can be a huge pain to actually have a pet. Like, I feel like sailboats aren't necessarily the greatest for big dogs, especially if you've got like a 35 to 40 foot boat. I've seen a lot of people have cats. And cats pretty much can take care of themselves besides mm. the swimming part. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Yikes. like, I don't have any pets. I mean, and you could keep, like, a turtle or something, right? <laughs> you know, that's as far as, yeah, goldfish. There you go. A plant, um, yeah. But then that detracts from, like, normal living, doesn't it? I mean, pe- a lot of people would want to have, particularly if they're interested in living on a boat and they still want to have that semblance of, of what they can get on land. For example... You know, is it easy to get groceries or do you, you know, to just do the needful, to do the day to day? Like, what if I have children? Your boat? Yeah. I mean, everything becomes a little bit harder on a boat, you know. Like, for example, um, just getting up in the morning, you know, it's a pretty tight space. Like, the V berth that I sleep in, it can be pretty tight. I'm like, oh, you know. And then if it's really cold outside, you certainly feel the cold in the boat. If it's hot, like, the plot twist for me is that I don't have any air conditioning so that in the summer the inside of the boat gets like 110 degrees 
and the teak decks on the outside light up like the third level of hell. So, you know, it can be extraordinarily uncomfortable. So, Meryl, you're saying it's it's quite uncomfortable and that it gets really hot and then, you know, it's it can be quite tedious, etc. So then, you know, why would you live on a boat? Yeah, I know it might sound like it completely sucks and there's a little bit to that, but... <laughs> you have to convince me I'm a land lover. Tell me why. You know, I guess I'll begin by saying the community. The community in the boating world is just so strong and mm. it's on land. Not a lot of people talk to their neighbors anymore or have those type of social interactions. And a lot of people just kind of have friendships within their own, you know, workspace. And those are the people that you hang out with. But in the boating world, there's such a diverse amount of people, right? Everyone, you know, from business owners to, you know, teachers, yeah, nurses. Do you feel like there's a level of camaraderie that you don't get? When you live on, on land and in your basic day-to-day apartments, do you feel that it's a level of compatibility that only people who live on boats can actually build and develop? Oh, I mean, it's a great time. You you run into people that you would just normally never run into in your entire life. Like, I'd be having drinks and making jokes with this guy who was wrote the leading paper for the Nobel Prize in cancer research. Or amazing. Be, you know, going out with some people that run a modeling agency so that's pretty wild and all sorts of madness you meet mm. some lifelong friends and everyone likes to hang out mm. so i mean the, top tips do you need to be an amazing swimmer um amazing wait, wait, handyman let, before we get to the top tips let's let's ask what are the other like top three reasons you're in boating so one would be community oh yes what else would that be? you know it would be just being outside in waterscapes right like mm. You can see extraordinarily far because it's completely kind of open when you're on the water. And the things that happen, like the sunsets, you know, when the sun goes down on the water, it looks like a million diamonds just glistening. And Do you feel your mental health has improved because of it? Because, you know, you go to a spa, you pay hundreds and thousands of dollars, and you've got ocean sounds and trickling rainfall sounds in mm. your ear. I mean, here you are living in the middle of the sea, living at, at, at the tip of, you know, the ocean, and you're just thinking, wow, you can hear the waves lapping 24-7. Yeah. Do you feel that that has helped your mental state and made you, and affected your personality? I've read places that being near the water and having the blue color, like, you know, oh, around God. you is actually pretty healthy for you. I would like to say that I don't have much stresses these days, even though things are uncomfortable. I don't stress too much and just being on the water it's beautiful okay and last one you feel it's therapeutic no oh for sure i mean i can only say from my experience but since i've been on the water you know my stress levels have gone down substantially amazing and what's point three i'd like to say the idea of being on a boat you know kind of changes mm. the game when you talk to people and you say i live mm. on a boat everyone's like holy crap you know and i'm a little bit of a narcissist so i kind of enjoy that <laughs> it's a game changer does it, does it go always go in a good way or does it go in a bad way as well oh everyone's shocked you know hmm. and they usually ask me oh does it have a bathroom i'm like yeah hmm. like does it have a a stove i'm like dude it's a yacht and everyone's like oh <laughs> god a yacht you know hmm. so it's the words okay interesting so that was point number three then is it just being able to so, stay the on the boat changes the game. 
So, okay, hang on. Do you feel people are attracted more to you when you say you're like, particularly, you know, um, people who are, whose curiosity is peak? Like women, yes, of course. I mean, if they come up to you and they say, oh, you live on a boat. So, you know, do they get the impression that you're somebody like who lives in lifestyles of the rich and famous? You've got this massive boat that you, you know, you, you know, like, oh, can. Massive oh. boat? Like, how does that go down after that? Oh, for sure. You know, obviously no one knows the terminology of boating where a boat is under 35 feet and then over 35 feet is a yacht. So when I say, oh, I live on a yacht, the first thing that people picture is like the below decks mega yachts mm. that are, you know, 200 feet. And mm. I don't correct them. I say, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> you live that illusion up, my friend. <laughs> come yonder, come to my boat. <laughs> so has it, has it helped your dating game or, or not? Oh, yeah. I mean, it seems that every girl online on uh, in Boston wants to learn sailing. It's one of those mm. classic things to do. So generally people come up and they say, oh, I want to learn sailing. I want to learn sailing. And generally the girls that I've had over, they've love the idea of sailing until we actually start sailing and like, oh this takes forever and all this i'm like we'll get there eventually you know they're barfing off the side of the boat they're like oh, oh no how much longer oh, we got i'm like we just oh, started you know oh, we got seven hours left so 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 let's let's jump to some of your best and worst worst trips like what was like your best band could be a top three if you want what were some of the best sailing adventures you had I guess the best sailing adventure I had was when I took the boat from Norwalk, Connecticut to Boston. It was my first time being out on the water and experiencing it. And I was nervous. I was like, oh, my God, am I going to get seasick? What's going to happen to me? Didn't get seasick. That first, that first experience of being on, on the ocean, that high. Yeah. And it was an adventure. You know, I felt alive, like out in the elements, like doing my own thing. It was You're like Dora awesome. the Explorer. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, with her crew, and then and I and I've seen pictures of you uh, showing me this before. And when you pulled into Boston, it was nighttime, right? And you saw like the skyline, like shimmer in the water. And how oh that yeah, be? yeah, coming in to Boston Harbor with the skyline, and there's like reds and greens and white colors all over the place. It was like mm. looking at the Emerald City, but mm. I was with a crew of sixty-plus-year-old men who mm. didn't have glasses. And so we didn't tell where we were going in the harbor. And, you know, we got so close to this barge at one point. You know, I, I went down below to use the bathroom, thinking that... The only one people, with good eyes. Yeah, yeah. Thinking that these old guys were going to, uh, you know, be able to manage. I said, go, to, go towards that green light. Go towards that green light. And go down below. And all of a sudden, the whole boat lit up with this bright white light. And uh, it looked like a UFO was about to pick us up. Ended up mm. being a barge with a spotlight on us, basically yeah. being like, dude, get away, you know? Get away. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Wow. And this is your first trip then still, right? That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, but it was awesome. It was awesome. That sounds right. amazing. Okay, so do you need to be, for somebody who's a complete novice to this, and if wait, I was wait, to wait. decide... We have, we have two more top... Oh, series. yes. I keep yeah. doing this, don't I? Sorry, yeah. Tala. Tell us more. Bad, bad, and good experiences. No, no. First, the top two, like remaining good ones. How you said you've gone all the way. You haven't done Maine yet, but you've done Rhode Island, right? How how, how was that? Did you have a best trip there? So, you know, it's hard for me to do that because a lot of the the bad experiences mm. were kind of the most fun experiences. 
<laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, one in which it's just like, oh my God, we're in a storm and it's absolutely terrifying and we managed and to survive. survive. Yeah. yeah. You're like, damn, that was a, that was an adventure. Mm. You know, I like the adventure style of it, you know. Mm. Okay. And so, but top three destinations according to you, one was just that trip and the other two would be Providence and? Well, I go to uh, Provincetown every year and mm. grab a mooring over there. favorite. Nice. And, uh, you know, it's this beautiful place on the Cape. And then I always go to Rockport, too, this small little town that's in northern Massachusetts mm. near Gloucester. Mm. So I always check that out. But mm. and is that Are they the particularly area? beautiful or picturesque or... Oh, Any yeah. reason why you always go there? Well, the funny thing is, like most places that are on the water that are major harbors or ports are very picturesque. And people travel, you know, from all around the world to check out the coastline of Rhode Island or, you know, check out Boston Harbor. But having mm-hmm. a view from the water is a complete different type of feeling than it is being in the city and looking out towards the water. I can imagine. It's like limitless, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It goes on forever. What's the most amazing thing you've seen in the water? Yeah. Have you seen What's dolphins? Have you seen yeah. sharks? Well, I haven't seen any dolphins. I've seen a whole lot of porpoises, which, you know, I tell all the girls that come on the boat, I say, look at that dolphin. But, you know, it's this ugly looking whale thing. Oh. Um, <laughs> I've seen sea turtles in Boston Harbor. I've seen oh. sea turtles. Wow. I've seen, yeah, when I saw the sea turtle, I was like walking on the dock and this thing popped out of the water. It was a turtle and it had flippers. And I was like, oh my God, that's not a normal turtle. Mm. I didn't even know that they had them there. And then, uh, like, I saw, like four or five feet across. Well, it was the smaller one. Um, and then I've seen a sunfish that's huge. It was like flopping around in the middle of the water. Mm. I did some donuts around that thing wondering what it was. Yeah, that's probably the extent of my wildlife experience. There's a lot of seagulls. Hmm, not the seagulls. True. Okay. So is it true you have to, do seagulls come in and steal your food? No, I've never actually had a seagull land on the boat or try to mess with me in any type of way. I think they just target the people that are on land and go for all their food. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen lots of sandwiches being snatched. So I'm just wondering. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm well curious. Yeah, um, probably in the, the mind of a seagull. The seagull's more concerned about being eaten by the person on the boat than someone on land killing them. <laughs> oh, so, so, so tell us about some of like your scariest, worst adventures, and tell us what made them so scary. Well, one trip I decided to go to, it was back during the beginning of COVID, and I had a girl at the time, and she could work remote, mm. but she needed to have internet. So I didn't know if this island called Misery Island that's near that uh, Misery Island. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to go sail out to Misery Island, which was a five, six hour sail. And I was mm. going to go there and I was going to see if there was internet and then I was going to come back. So I, so I enlist one of my friends. You know, I say, Nikki, come with me. I'm going to check out, see if there's internet at Misery Island. So he's like, okay, you know, comes on the boat. How long are we going to be gone? I'm like, pretty long time. So we sail out there. And as we're sailing out there, there's these big rollers, right? They're like waves that are really spread out. And they're the, they were like widths of a bus, pretty much. Wow. There had been this gigantic storm that had come through like the day before. And that was during the time in which I was like not 100% grasping the idea that storms 
the effects <laughs> last for days after. So we, we sailed to Misery Island and these big rollers that would pick us up and put us in the like their trough. And you couldn't even see land anymore because you were mm. so down below. It's between the waves now. Wow. We, we get to Misery so, Island. So, okay. I have to ask you to backtrack. So when a storm ends, what we presumably think on land, it actually carries on in the ocean for a while. Yeah, waves build up over time and distance. So a storm's effects can last a day or two after, you know, with big waves. Wow, so you could actually be well deep between two waves. Mm, yeah. And that's, okay. wow. And then oh. what happened? How'd you get out of that? Yeah, oh. how did I mean, you get out? It wasn't that bad, right? We were just like, wow, you know, sitting there. That's crazy. And <laughs> we, we sailed. And so we get to Misery Island, and we're sitting there, and it's beautiful. There's a bunch of people there, and, you know, we have some beers, and I'm relaxing. We find out that there is Internet. That's not a problem. Right. So Nikki yeah. comes up to me, and he says, hey, uh, how long is it going to take for us to get back? So in mm. my mind, I was like, okay, we got to go back right now. Mm. And, you know, we... Uh, so we pack up and we leave Misery Island and on the way leaving it out, the wind picks up to like 40 something knots. Oh boy. The sea reignites I itself. It was over the first time. This is round two and you yeah. were there. Yeah. Well, everything came back to life in the ocean. I'll tell you that. And mm. we were just getting bashed and I knew that we were screwed when the sun was setting and we were parallel to like um, Marblehead. <laughs> And we still had like seven hours to go. It took us like the entire time. And Nikki, you know, is kind of blind. So it was me at the helm the time. And, uh, you know, we, uh, there was this one wave that the green and red navigation lights of the, on the bow of the boat lit up this wave and this thing just towered over the boat. And you Mm. can see the white streams of, uh, you know, this wave. And we just went right through it. And right it came, through the wave. Yeah, it came oh, crashing wow. over. It ripped my hat off. It ripped the anchor locker up. Uh, and I was like, Jesus, you know, we need to get out of here. So yeah. it motored, right? And when we got back to Boston, all the lights were off because it was COVID and the world was in a pandemic. And that, you know, I made it back to the dock. I saw T there, you know, got on the dock, kissed the dock a little bit. I was like, thank God for it. <laughs> I slept for like a day. Ugh. Wow. Okay. Uh, do you want to give us another two? Or was that <laughs> was that the just it? Well, I went to Provincetown once, and mm. on the way there, it was pretty crappy out. You know, mm. boat was bouncing around. We had like eight footers, mm. and the girlfriend. So the the, got, it sounds like the back trips then have to totally. You need good weather, ideally, right? Windy. Yeah, pretty much. To before you even venture out. Yeah. Well, in New England, if it's good weather, that means that there's no wind. So, hmm. and you got a sailboat, so ah. that kind of sucks. But yeah, on the way to uh, Provincetown, the girlfriend got sick, so she was barfing her brains out. And family friend Mike was there, so he hmm. went down into the the cabin to get a uh, some Dramamine for. Her, and this wave hit us on the side, and oh, he flew up and hit the ceiling, and then oh, came boy. crashing through oh, one of oh, the no. rooms and like broke you know some bones on his back and he was just laying there in shock and we we're like oh, oh damn there's nothing we can really do about him now we're just gonna have to get to provincetown so oh, we sailed over yeah. there and then he was pretty much stiff the rest of the, the time but he was okay by the end of it right but that's sad to hear old man yeah, that's well, terrible yeah. he still has 
back pain years after. Yikes. Oh, bless them. Also, Poor thing. So maybe let's also do like a top three like safety tips in your mind, just because that's what that made me think of. Well, have a life jacket because if you fall, yeah. in, pretty much dead. And mm. I hate how people are like, oh, you don't know how to swim, and and you're on a boat. Don't know how like, to swim. You don't know how to yep. swim. We have to come back to that, but go on. Yeah, but in my impression, it's like you fall out three miles out, you're gonna die out there because you're gonna really swim three miles to get back to shore. Mm, I don't know. Hang on, you are exceptionally brave for being in love with living on a boat and not being able to swim. <laughs> that is insane. Mm. Well, I like boat. I just don't like, you know, swim. Mm. Being surrounded by liquid death doesn't scare you. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying I have a crustacean allergy, but I want to work in a crab shop. I mean, seriously. <laughs> That's a good it's one. okay. I'll wear gloves. I'm cool. I can. I can. I'll live through this. So you Let's always walk around the in, a, in a safety jacket. What do you do? Well, I just make sure I don't go into the water. Um, mm. And I well, make even sure for a little no paddle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So top two safety tips. One is. Have a, always have a life jacket on hand if you're out there, especially like wear it, right? Yeah. And, well, I would say probably let people know where you are and mm. uh, have kind of a plan with that. And then mm. if you're doing any long distances, you should probably get like a safety device, like an EPIRB. I mean, you never know what could happen. And an EPIRB mm. is, yeah, click the button and it sends out a transmission to Coast Guard or whoever's in the vicinity that you know, you're in trouble. Know how and to that use the radio. Yeah, you just, it's a pretty expensive piece of equipment. You know, it's like a thousand mm. bucks. Yeah, but, but if you're going out far, definitely have one of those on you. Yeah. Have you ever had to use it? No. Mm. I just recently got one. Mm. Nice. But I, have you ever gotten to use your life jacket either, right? Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try to, I try to frown away from people going in the water under my watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And final fa- safety tip? You know, check the weather. Make sure that you're going out and weather that's not going to be too advanced for you Choppy. to be able to handle. I've seen a lot of people early on just take their boat out in bad weather because they're like, oh, I want to go sailing, but they have no gauge of how windy things can get when you're and you in the boaters open. love wind. Yeah. So, yeah, Meryl, well, when you take the boat out and you land in beautiful places or, you know, you, you're sailing and suddenly you just realize this is a beautiful place to just stop and just admire and the water is calm and like lovely and you know do you want to dip your feet in do you ever do that or are you too scared well i'm not scared but uh <laughs> yeah there's something about the water touching me mm, no thanks you know I, i've gone to a place and people jump in the water and they say meryl come in and i'm like nah i don't really want to uh you know but so, this leads to our other question we ask all our listeners or our uh, guests this is but are you afraid of sharks I think my phobia is more of like related to heights. You know, when I'm mm. on a building and I'm looking down, I'm like, oh my God. But if I'm in the water, the only thing I can think about is how far down it goes. So I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God, uh, that height I just can't handle. Mm. So wait, but you still want to live on a boat? That's fascinating. Mm. How does that work though? I, you know, just don't go in the water. <laughs> but you live on it. <laughs> Doesn't mean that you need to go into the water. That's amazing. Oh well, my the, god. The best uh the best sailors in the world are the ones that didn't know how to swim. That is fascinating. I can't list any names, but that's what I've heard. 
But don't you have to do a lot of things in the water? Like I remember at one stage, Salah, this is going back to something you mentioned, something that you were you were oiling your boat or something, and you were protecting the the base of the boat.、Mm. I remember you mentioned you were doing some yeah some painting yeah some painting or something where you protect it from rust or yep, something. Yep, yep. So wouldn't you? Isn't this all part and parcel of maintaining the boat? Well. There was one time in which I wanted to clean the bottom of the boat while it was underwater, so I mustered <laughs> up all the the courage I had, and I got myself a snorkel thing, and、oh, I went、boy. down into、uh, Boston Harbor with like a flashlight because、oh, it was so, like murky in there. And we like, have to remind ourselves that you can't swim. So what, what does that mean? Do you have a life jacket on? Like what were you I was, doing? I was holding onto a rope, and、okay. uh, you know I get down there. And I turn the <laughs> flashlight on, and the flashlight, the light goes like an inch because the water's so murky. Murky, and I can't see、yeah. anything. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this. You know, I can't do、yeah. this. I get、That's、out of the water. Oh boy! I hire a diver. Diver shows up. He sees all this like snorkel equipment on my boat. <laughs> says, "Did you try to go underneath this boat?" I said, "Yes." He's like, "The water is contaminated with this stuff that if you get it in your mouth." It'll eat your gums out and all this other type of stuff. And I was like, "Oh man, okay, I'm never going in this water." <laughs> oh my god, that's awful. That's a pretty brave story again for somebody who doesn't swim, right? Rope in, bloop bloop. I like it. You tried. No, tried. You tried. Kudos to you. Have you ever been in that water, Tala? I have. Yeah, I knew. I knew people who used to swim in it. They still have their gums. So yeah. <laughs> That sounds terrifying, though. Yeah. So, but Mero, tell us about like what is your dream sail? Like you mentioned, you want to sail the world, yeah. But like, what what does that mean? And would it be on this boat, or maybe we can even backtrack and like, do you have a dream boat in mind? Well,、hmm, dream boat would probably be a custom power boat, and you know, with that, I would. How probably... big though? Like not too yeah, big. Yeah, literally about to say how big. Yeah, I'd say probably fifty, sixty feet. And I'm not really sure how I would feel about crossing an ocean. You know, I like to dream that I'll have a boat in the United States, and then I'll have a boat in the Mediterranean, and be able to just jump back and forth. Because crossing an ocean probably takes like you know a month to do, <laughs> and it probably really sucks. <laughs> and fly you know, between the two boats. Okay. You know. So, in when you mean fifty feet. For somebody who has no clue, how many rooms are we looking at? Like we're looking at one bedroom and a kitchen, or are you? What, what is? What am I exactly envisioning here? Well, fifty feet would almost be the size of like a tractor trailer, I think. And each foot on a boat isn't just like another foot; it's like a cubic foot. So everything that you know, there's a huge difference between a forty foot and a fifty foot boat, like vastly.、Uh-huh. So you would have like a big living room, you know, master bedroom, another bedroom, walk-in yeah, shower, probably two bathrooms. Yeah, three foot you know, shower. It's like a lap of luxury. Yeah. yeah. Now that yeah, would、like、be luxurious. Yeah. So do you see families on a boat? I mean, do you ever see any families on a boat, like children, you know,、um, husband, wife? Do or is it mostly a single person thing? I've seen a a lot of couples on boats. I've seen、um, a few kids. You know, people that have like a sixty foot boat that have like two kids on the boat and a dog. But I've also seen probably majority is just older people that the kids are no longer in the house and they decide to buy a boat so and travel and see the world and whatnot.、Mm. 
Do you, would you say it's mostly a male thing, or would you say it's even plain that would you see as many women as you do men? The marine world is almost entirely dominated by men, and I've seen girls coming into the industry, but there there's kind of few and far between. Majority mm. men and a lot of single men. Mm. <laughs> single men start off that way, you know. <laughs> Why is that? Why do you think? Well, just like I had brought up earlier about when you're making plans to live on a boat and making sure that the other person is under the same page as you that wants to do this, I feel like a lot of people do get dragged into this partners and, you know, one partner is pretty adamant about it and the other one isn't so much but comes along and as time goes on, they start to express disinterest on it. Fair enough. But there mm. is a there is a big difference between like owning a boat and going out every now and then and then living on a boat it's they're completely different mm. so tell us tell us about your dream adventure then you've got this dream boat of yours what are you going to do with it my dream adventure well i'd probably go up to maine go into all the coves mm. i know where the internet is i made a map of that so <laughs> work, work remote uh you know along the coast check out cool places mm. you know I, I would like to have a much more bougie boating experience where I mm. grab a dock instead of just dropping an anchor or being on a mooring ball. You know, okay. easy on, easy off, check out the town, mm. that type of thing. And, and I remember you originally sort of had plans to do uh, Cape Horn, which Charlie doesn't know this, but it's one of the scariest places sailors can describe. Um, it's at the tip of Argentina or something, right? Well... You know, those dreams of sailing the world are uh, long gone now. But, oh, every, but every time I run into a new sailor, they always say the same thing. I'm going to sail the world. I'm like, hmm. sure. sure but so how, how old are you, man? Let's just get that right for our listeners. I'm 29. 29. So you Oh, my gosh. I'm in the world to do this, right? So, so the, But it's cool. So the last four years, so now you, you totally know how to sail. Yeah, and uh, you could, if you wanted to, you could just like take off and sail the world right now. Like, if not now, in the next few years, right? And it sort of depends on if you want to or not. Then at that point, right? Well, you know, one of the things that you got to figure out with doing that is how are you going to work and earn money because you still live in the real world that requires money to buy things. So I feel like this whole living aboard and actually being able to travel and do it right requires that you're in a job that you can work remotely. It's one of the problems. Cool. Okay. I think, so you feel I that, like, you know, after mm. some of these amazing life-altering experiences that you've been through and being on the boat and, and you have these amazing stories to tell, don't you feel that there's a huge disparity with the people that you meet on a regular basis if they're not from the marine, sort of, marine world and that they can feel almost boring in a way? You know, because you've got these amazing experiences. And as you said, you've got this gorgeous view that you wake up to every single day. You've got this extensive knowledge by living on the boat. You are a jack of all trades, master of all trades, because you're able to fix your own boat, maintain things, do things that an average person wouldn't have to do. You've got so much skill. You've got skill. You've got, you know, a beautiful view. You've got life experience. Mm. Doesn't everything else pale in comparison? Community, you know, you've got the ability to... Something very important, which we haven't touched upon, is the ability to enjoy your own company, which a Mm. lot of people are not able to do. I mean, there's this massive amount of mental health issues, especially after COVID, because 
people have seen they're just extremely uncomfortable being on their own. Whereas on the boat in the solitude, I mean, yes, yes, as you said, it's nice to have a partner on board, but you have had many experiences when you're on your own, you know, and, and you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, like you jumped in the water and used a rope to try and clean the underside <laughs> of a boat. You know, beautiful <laughs> things like this where you're challenging yourself every day. Don't you think that real life or the life experiences that you see on land pale in comparison to this? Oh, for sure. Like every time I go into some person's apartment, I'm just like, wow, there's so much space in here. I'm like, oh man, you have a washing machine? Oh, that's easy, you know? You like, wash your own clothes by hand? Well, no, dishwasher. That's awesome to have, I'll tell you. Wait, but so tell us about your boat. Does your boat have, what amenities does your boat have? And then how, did, how did the whole minimalism like affect your life? Well, I had already come from the AT, so I pretty much had everything in a backpack. I've been kind of living pretty minimally for a little bit. But I did have a lot of stuff in Memphis, Tennessee. I was living in Memphis before I threw hike the AT. So I had to get rid of that, sold a bunch of stuff. You know, the whole thing that I feel about minimalism is that it's just like a cheaper way of living. You don't have a whole lot of things that can, you know, tie you down. In the famous book, Fight Club, or the movie, you know, they say that the things you own end up owning you. And if you don't have a whole lot of things, then, uh, you know, you're pretty free. So, Meryl, do you think you'll ever live on land again? Well, ideally, what the master <laughs> plan is, is, uh, you know, I'd like to get a bigger boat for sure. But I also mm. want to buy plots of land all around the country, maybe even the world, and set up like tiny homes. And then be mm. able to, you know, vacation in Montana or take the boat to Maine or go to mm. Florida or you know, California, do whatever I want type of thing and be able to travel and have experiences because I feel like it's the having experiences part that a lot of people are missing out on. But isn't it, I mean, for so many people listening to this, they're probably thinking, yeah, that would be amazing, Meryl, but you need money to make this happen and where do families come into this and children come into this and where does real life come into this? This isn't real. I mean, how do you tell those people that this is real? that you can manage to have these two amazing lives merged together. Well, you know, what I've learned along the way is there's jobs for anything, right? There's some person that goes and just cleans sewage piping of the city and makes a ton of money and is able mm. to do a ton of things. You know, with boating and being able to have this like nomadic lifestyle, there's a job out there, right, that you can do and you can earn money and be able to, you know, live the dream. And that's what a lot of these YouTube influencers in the boat world or RV world were able to do, right? So they've been able to find a niche and then make money off that and be able to travel. But there's a ton of jobs out there that are remote, especially after COVID. Mm. So you think it's all remote. very achievable? Oh, yeah, it's it's super achievable for sure. Um, just not a lot of people have the guts out to do it because it is pretty hard, right? Mm. That makes sense. Do you think there's an ideal age where you'd say somebody is more suited to come and live on a boat or is it just, you know, would you say this is, if you, I get on a whim, I'm 18 and I suddenly think, that's it, I'm moving out, I want to get on a boat. Do you think the marine community would be accepting of, of you know, or is it they look for more mature people who are looking for life experiences in their mid-twenties, it's more of a mid-twenties to late, early thirties thing? So, for a while, I was the youngest at the marina at mm -hmm. age like 27. Really? Um, yeah, the majority were like 40 plus, 50s, 60s, 
you know, people have so to it's a retiring thing. Then it's mm-hmm. like a, it it's a, used it's a, to be, and it's definitely becoming more young now. Like metal is sort of a sign of that sort of tide changing. Yeah, the youngest. Would you one. say are there lots of people there now your age, or still you're still the youngest? Yeah, I'm still one of the youngest. There's another person that's younger than me, but it's by like six months. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Wow. If but yeah, for the most part, everyone's older. You know, everyone's older and wiser and all that type of stuff. Does it get patronizing sometimes? Well, uh, everyone's super open, and I'm a very social, outgoing person, and so I've learned a lot along the way. You know, everyone's has like a unique view of life and how to navigate life because they're on a boat to begin with. So you have to have some type of strange thinking to be there. So just hearing different perspectives. You know, like what? What are some of the interesting people you met? Tell us about them. Man, interesting people I've met. You know, I got a friend that's a VP of a hospital. I got another person that was influential in the Nobel Prize in cancer research. I knew a ton of um, business people in at, at the marina. Hmm. I knew one guy who held the record for going the farthest north anyone's ever gone on a sailboat and was like a legendary adventurer. You know, T, you're quite interesting. All that, all that type of stuff. It sounds so incredible, um, and I think anyone listening would be really tempted to actually give it a go. Is there any way that people could actually experience what it's like to live on a boat for a couple of days just to get a feeler rather than actually making that huge investment, spending so much money? And you know, How would you advise someone going out there and wanting to give this a try for the first time without having to dish out the financials? You know, that's a pretty hard one. It's kind of... What I would say it would probably be taking a charter for multiple days mm. and just experiencing what a week or two weeks on a boat feels like. Yeah. Now you can almost do like a Airbnb for boats. Really? Yeah. Where? How? Well, uh, out in Boston, they have a few of them. You can just yeah. go on Airbnb and they got them or boat Airbnbs. Yeah. yeah. People try it out. Mm. Boat Airbnbs. It could be like, like a I date night. It could. It totally could. And I think the way the Merrill approached it is also a lot of the way, you know, the way that people do it is that they just sort of take the leap of faith. And, uh, yeah, I think in the first year, that's sort of make or break year where they figure out if it's something for them and they want to pers- yeah, pursue it for the next few years or like that. But by then, much. don't you agree, T, that they've already invested that money and that could become well, a I sort of the, deterrent? The thing about boats, like the way Merrill was describing is it, it is... A depreciating asset but I think like if you say you bought a boat today and then you sold it a year later you're not really gonna lose a lot you know you hopefully like gain more in terms of like experiences and now you have become more of a tinkerer than you were before you know and uh, but you probably be able like I mean worst case like uh, you know you could just get like a cheaper boat to begin with and but that's also why lots of people don't like it so much right they'll just like I was saying get a boat that you know is a fixer-upper and then you get lost in doing the projects and you don't even get to take the boat out and then that just mars the whole experience for you that's so interesting i think i'm um i'm slightly swayed and i would be really interested to see what it's like to spend a few days on a boat Hmm. i think the airbnb does appeal Hmm. so so let's let's move there so uh, meryl tell us like what are your top three tips then for like living on a boat how do you make that happen well I would say, this is a big one, be outgoing and social. Hmm. I feel that no man is their own island. And when you get on a boat, there's so many things that could go wrong and things that you just don't even know about. Um, when you make friends with people, 
like for instance, everyone has their own major boat project that they end up having to work on where they have a special set of tools that is super expensive to own and they mastered that one job. So you can borrow tools from people, you can get advice from people how to do projects, just makes the experience a lot easier because there's not much content out there about how to fix everything on a boat and it's hard to kind of navigate the black hole of information. Okay. Why is that? Why is that? I mean, is it because the people that are living these experiences are not interested in writing down their experiences or sharing these experiences? Or is there any way that people could collate this information and have it somewhere where people who are interested to learn can go to? Well, I feel that the vast majority of it is that not a lot of people are writing on the subject and the only content that you really see out there are those influencers that are kind of traveling the world and having experiences and that's what people, you know, focus on. So, not a lot of content out there regarding like working on boats and every boat is different and unique. So, there's not one fast and easy way of getting something done. It's like a level of craftsmanship in there. That does way. sound really cool. Yeah. Mm. I so just feel that it would then? be yeah, exactly. So tip one, go meet people. Go go knock on the board next door to you. What's tip two? Tip two would be, you know, not getting a fixer-upper, right? <laughs> you know, you, you want to be able to actually experience boating mm-hmm. uh, because it'll wear you down if you can't take the boat out and you're stuck doing projects because projects can last forever. Mm. Well, but let's say you already had a fixer-upper and you're living aboard it. Like, what? How? How would you twist that? And would would it just be like enjoy the ocean more, go out on other people's boats? Is that what you're you're saying? Well, if you already have a fixer-upper, I don't know how to help you. But uh, yeah, just get on other people's boats. Everyone kind of wants to have other people coming out with them. You know, I always found that when I invited people onto the boat, it wasn't that I wanted to. Um, you know, show people a good time. I just wanted them to drive the boat so I could have a good time. <laughs> Do you feel there's that element of sort of showing off? No. No, at this point, it's kind of just like part of who I am. So it's cool. <laughs> you know, when I say yachts and yachting, it sounds very foreign. And when I go back to my parents' house every now and then, which is in Central Mass., and, uh, you know, the occasional person at the bar will be like, so what do you do? And I'm like, uh, I'm in yachting. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. That must be like a 200-foot mega yacht, you know? Hmm. Okay, so, and then, so number two was go out, just enjoy the ocean, definitely. And then step three? Step three, you know, geez, that's a hard one. Living aboard. Living aboard. Make sure you're in, uh, you're not living on a mooring ball, you know, wipe that thought from What's your a mooring brain. ball? Sorry, you might have to elaborate. What is a mooring ball? So the three ways you can kind of land the boat in a sense is either dropping an anchor or a mooring ball, which is a uh, basically an anchor and there's a chain and you tie the boat to this floating ball and you're in the harbor, right? You're not tied to a dock. Um, and so you have to... So you have to have your own way of getting to land. So you'd have to have a dinghy. And uh, I know a few people that tried to live on mooring balls. And boy, did it seem like they just went into madness. Mm. Really? Why is that? I mean, how does that? (laughs) How is that? Humans are social creatures. And, you know, being out on on a floating island long enough, you start to really start to lose your mind. Don't push it too far. 
Okay. Yeah. So you're saying find a good dock somewhere. Oh yeah, for sure. Get a dock. You know, no, it's start, so much easier to live. Live in your own thoughts. It just might. <laughs> and you and might so just end up becoming like Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal <laughs> so there's this age-old question, though. So do you do you find it's uh, cheaper to live on a boat or the same as compared to land? Well, it certainly isn't cheap uh, to be on a boat. But I mean, for instance, where I'm at. The neighboring apartments that are right next to the marina, they charge seven grand a month for rent. And mm. if you do have the math for me, I spend roughly a thousand dollars a month for a dock mm. space. Mm. So yeah, that's it's a big cheaper deal. in that sense. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and then, that is pretty. That's much cheaper. That's six grand cheaper. Yeah, yeah, and then when you travel, you can do it pretty cheap. You know, you don't need to pay for hotels, right? Because you already brought your home with you. So mm. that's enjoyable. Can we please address the sea legs situation? Mm-hmm. How do you combat this this sea legs versus land legs? Well, I'll tell you that the only way to do it is by when you're on land, you drink so much that it comes out. <laughs> Does it still bother you after this many years? That's a good question. When I uh, when I first started living on a boat and I was in law school, I would sit on the back of the class because I was one of those students and. When I was looking at the board and my computer screen, everything was wavy, and I started freaking out. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is like a trip." So I type <laughs> in a Google. I'm like, "You know, the, my vision is wavy after being on a boat." And of course, WebMD says I have this incurable disease that mm. you know I'm gonna have a wavy existence for the rest of my life. Oh I my freaked gosh! Out, freaked out for a little bit, but nowadays I don't really get it too much. That's good. So it so, does I mean, prevail. That's it does, it does decide after a few months. But like, I I don't do too much land, and uh, when I do, I think once in a while this still happens to me. I'm just like, ooh. But now I know. Like in the beginning, I had to sort of question myself. I used to be like, is it me or is it the room? You know, like I used to always like imagine there's an earthquake going on. <laughs> you know, like no, no. It's not it does. It feels exactly like that. I remember it. Yeah. Um, it's almost like you feel unbalanced on your feet, and you feel you're gonna fall over. It's almost like very hard to explain to people who are not used to being on a boat, but it's almost like you're on a trampoline, so to speak. It's like you're mm. going in a in a wave motion. Your body is going in a wave motion, but while yeah, you're standing yeah. still, so you can't really tell what exactly your body is doing. Is it swaying or is it your mind swaying? Yes. But I would think that would make you quite nauseous after a while, even on land. But don't you stop? I mean, T, you do you get off at land and you do have things to eat and. You know, exactly. you drive places. Yeah, yeah. I think eventually a time comes where it's almost like a migraine is a way to describe it. Right? You sort of know the aura and everything. You're like, oh, it's nothing. We'll go away. Yeah. I've heard stories about people that have gone long distances, and then when they get to land, they get land sick and they start barfing their brains out like they're seasick. Oh boy, the opposite. Yeah, this is stable for me. Oh, that's quite awful. Okay. That is quite awful. So, so in terms of things question. like you cannot do on the boat, do you, is there anything that you miss being somebody who lives on a boat? Like, do you miss certain things that you would have on land? Well, I miss the open space to just lay out on the floor and stretch and do all that other type of stuff. But hmm, what do I miss? I don't really miss too much at all. No? Hmm. Yeah. I still go to bars and hang out with people and have good times and usually the experiences that I've have on boats with friends you know we take the boat out we'll go to an island we'll have a good time you'll know, we'll wrapped up watch a fireworks show all sorts of wild things and I think if I was on land I wouldn't have the same community 
that I do living aboard a boat. Man, would you advise this to like other people thinking about it? Like, is like what does it sort of person perhaps? Um, hmm. Well, I'm gonna say if a person hasn't had a whole lot of difficult, challenging experiences in their life, it'll be a shock to the system. But yeah, I mean, I recommend that everyone does it. Is it for everyone? No. Um, but it can be a great time or it can be pretty miserable. Hmm. So you're saying, and is that like a personal sort of reflection thing? Is that what helps you realize truths about yourself? Has it done that for you? I know pretty much every single person that I've met that lives aboard a boat is some type of crazy. You know, so if you're thinking about living on a boat and your friends would probably say that you're crazy, if you ask them, then, you know, go for it. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, so to speak. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think, yeah. um, it does take one kind of person, uh, and the beauty of it all is the way you've described it is quite succinct because you basically said, it's not easy, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but if you're going to go out there and do it, and if you've got this passion for it, you know, there's huge amounts of learning, and it's extremely exciting, and there's life-changing and life-altering experiences that you're going to walk away with every day. Hmm. No hmm. one day is the same. And to Meryl, so taking off further then, is that if you could do it all over again, would you you know, have made that jump back into boating, like into boating rather, or, you know, just sidestep the whole adventure. I probably would have gotten in a powerboat. Powerboat, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's just more room, right? Like, a 40-foot sailboat and a 40-foot powerboat are different, you know, in size. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm on a 40-foot sailboat, but being on these 40-foot powerboats, I'm like, damn, you know, I could lay on the floor and stretch here. <laughs> So it's a whole other like feeling. Like your yoga. I like it. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, Meryl. I mean, I think it's been really fascinating for somebody like me who's who had no clue whatsoever um, mm. to learn and know so much. That's absolutely amazing. And this isn't the end. Trust me, there are going to be more questions to come. I mm. think this was just like us starting to scratch the surface of trying to understand what boat life is like. Um, there's obviously so much knowledge you ha you can share, so much skilled knowledge you can share about technical expertise, about know-how, knowledge, about, you know, places to go initially when you're a newbie, you know, ultimate, like, sort of tips that you, you know, things that you should know before you even get involved in this process. Uh, so we'd love to, to keep touching base with you on this. Well, it was a great time, guys. Yeah, thank you. And Mel, as a final question for me, what I'm going to ask you is leave us again with the top three and maybe this can be like the gear or the websites or the apps that, you know, you as a boarder, having done this a bunch of years, that you'd recommend that somebody getting into boarding or thinking about it or anything should definitely check out. Well, I would say, you know, several weather apps. I always use Windy. That seems to be a pretty good one. But I also check weather.com and all the other ones. I would say that Active Captain and Navionics for your charts and whatnot. A lot of people have paper charts on their boats, but kind of everyone's moving towards having just like cell phones and whatnot. And then, of course, ShipShape. Um, if you need to find any service providers, you can do a search in there and find people that are in the area because that's a huge pain to try to find anyone to work on the boat. Love it. Thank you so much, Mel, for being thank on the show. Thank you so much. And thank you, T, as well. Um, it, it's lovely wow. to pick both your brains. Yeah. 
And we'll be touching base soon then, guys. Take care. Stay tuned. The ShipShape Podcast. ShipShape.pro, the number one resource in the U.S. for marine professionals.